Hello and welcome back to the CCA podcast. This is the September edition. My name is Gareth K. Vile and we're coming at you through Sunny Govern FM. Today's episode, as always, is packed with interviews with guests and performers and artists who are making things around the CCA and further afield. Our first guest today have come all the way from St. Petersburg in Russia. That's swiftly followed by somebody who is based in Glasgow, but nevertheless is bringing films from around the world through Squiff. And then we move on to talk to the newest cultural tenant, who again is bringing music from around the world straight here into the heart of the CCA. And finally, I take a trip over to Edinburgh in the middle of the fringe to chat to Take One Action, a documentary festival that ranges all across Scotland, but of course is visiting the CCA. As always, I have to be very careful with my first guests on the show today because I want to make sure that I'm actually going to pronounce the name of the company correctly. It Chodilat? <laughs> I'm nowhere near it at all, am I? <laughs> it's not really a company. <laughs> it's no, company. Well, we call it, yeah. How, how would you describe it? A collective, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And what does that mean for you to be a collective? How, how does that operate? Well, many things. Uh, First of all, we can start a little bit uh, from our historical background, because it started as a collective, as a a company of good friends. And uh, among those friends were people um, who are poets, who are artists, performers, philosophers, writers, critiques. And uh, yeah, it started back 17 years ago. 17 years ago. 2003. 2003. Yeah. Then it's less. Then it's 16. 16 years ago. Okay. I'm bad enough, (laughs) obviously. And uh, yeah, it started from the moment um, when Putin was already there as president, uh, president of uh, Russia for three years. And um, to to kind of give it an official kick, he invented uh, to celebrate St. Petersburg birthday, like 300 years of St. Petersburg. And uh, for that reason, uh, the city of St. Petersburg became militarized, basically. And uh, this kind of celebration, quote unquote, uh, was more look like... Um, an empty town where you where you can barely move. So this group of friends and Dima uh, was there and many of our friends, uh, they started to discuss how to react to that measures. They developed a sort of a performative, uh, also politicized and performative and Dadaist action. So maybe Dima can describe a little more because yeah, it was actually Hugo went so far <laughs> from now into time and lines and yeah. So it was kind of simple protest because we felt that we have enough of that conservative bullshit that openly started already those days. So and then it develops and few people left and together we built collective and since then we stayed together mm-hmm. and working on different things. Because not all everyone is visual artists, so some as Nikolai mentioned. But at the same time whole project come from discussions and living together, sharing every day, uh, also engaging with the school and education process, kind of sharing knowledge between Mm -hmm. generations. 
Yeah, something like that. And you do work all around the world as well. It's not just in Russia and St. Yeah, Petersburg. Yeah, it's actually quite usual fate of many contemporary artists. Like, you have to play in many places as long as you invite mm-hmm. it. So, but at the same time, yeah, maybe with our case, it's a bit disproportionate because we have more shows outside Russia than inside mm-hmm. Russia. But it's for complexity of different reasons mm-hmm. from financial to political aesthetic also <laughs> so yeah yeah we do many things Dmitry noticed a very important thing uh, which is our our school our educational process a project that we started six years ago or something we've been always um, enthusiastic about um, the alternative education and uh, self-education but this uh, particular thing with um, doing the, the alternative school for young artists and non artists and non-young people and sometimes not even people <laughs> a dog participated to our school <laughs> that really holds us in St. Petersburg and brings this proportion back so we have a lot of shows outside of Russia outside of our context but what contextualize our work is basically that we insistingly are staying there in St. Petersburg we are getting involved with local and uh, Russian politics Uh, grassroots politics we are getting involved with uh, with uh, with a new generation and this intergenerational exchange is uh, is fantastically informative for us ourselves mm-hmm. and that's what make our our work important for us and artistic work as well as, mm-hmm. as pedagogical how did you end up coming to glasgow uh, yeah well, it's kind of normal trajectory you have great institution and exactly this type institution sometimes enjoy our work <laughs> and that's why i guess we've all been simply invited but we used to work in glasgow before mm-hmm. we make a big performance in tramway mm-hmm. in 2011 mm-hmm. where i was particular teaching in summer school in hospital field it's not glasgow but, but it's close close yeah, yeah. it's close mm-hmm. yeah, that's why i mentioned yeah that's all yes mm-hmm. relation to <laughs> i remember the tramway production in 2011 so i was you there remember? for that i do i do indeed i realized when you were coming i went oh yeah that was i mean it was one of those things that really used really got involved with the space there's yeah. a real sense in your work of the location because mm. you talked about st petersburg mm-hmm. but you're very aware of where you are yeah It was an amazing local singer. Mm-hmm. They were really great. One of the best experiences, actually. Mm-hmm. And performer, too. So it was really intense. <laughs> Six, five days together. Yeah, we enjoyed Well, it's worth talking a little bit about the Timeslines 1989s, the work that you're creating here. Mm. It's quite a complex process of making because can you tell me a little little bit about how you pulled together this timeline? What did you have to do? Oh, it's a good question. You know, the idea at the beginning sounds pretty simple and rather attractive. What can be wrong? So we create from our artistic slide that kind of general narration of whatever happens globally. Mm-hmm. with a little bit focus on UK and Scotland and Russia, which we know better and actually maybe more close to us and locality. But then it becomes really kind of 
adventure because when we start to work with different sources from Wikipedia to alternative sort of protest resources, we found out that it's very interesting conceptual poetic mixture because I think what's unique about our timeline is that it's in a quite specific way, uh, re-edit events from major kind of mainstream things and completely alternative forgotten things. Mm -hmm. It's not just we focus on just things which nobody remember, only just five old kind of activists. No, we include kind of major, major things. But sometimes the interpretation and editing, putting them in connection with other things, makes this history quite unique at the same time, very complex process of the that editing. I'm not yet even feeling that we finish it yet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's one of the versions which, when in the process, it can develop this direction, that direction. It's so exciting. And second, because of that program on CCA, uh, we discussed from the beginning that it should not be a stable show. Like, you know, you show film, here's a sculpture, and here's mm -hmm. a mural. Okay, fine. Nothing against it. But the idea was to make show display transformative allow people to interfere, to insert their own event and create a structure. That was also kind of a challenge, a little bit more kind of in direction of public art. So how you create a structure which at the same time creates certain frame, contextualizing yeah. things, but at the same time allow welcoming people to contribute. Mm -hmm. And I think that it's quite serious artistic <laughs> task which we are trying right now to solve. I really hope that people are going to be generous enough to share their um, their events. Uh, but uh, from our point of view, we can see it as a little trick that because you cannot really capture everything in the world mm. and put it in right proportions together, you have to allow this timeline uh, consisted of chosen events mm -hmm. to be transformed mm -hmm. by those memories mm -hmm. of local people whom we invite. Mm -hmm. I think it's it's something between opening up the space and also like it's it's a little trick. Yeah. So nobody feels that ah those people are making their own history. Mm -hmm. Definitely we do because we commemorate those people who we want to commemorate and we put away the events that we think could not be there because mm -hmm. it will be a misleading Mm. kind of way of understanding but time, our vision. If I can add, it was also very interesting that, you know, we have experience of working on timelines. And actually, maybe our audience not so familiar, but there is a certain kind of tradition in art, mm -hmm. not only in historical magazines or yeah. kind of scientific publication. No, there is artistic tradition and we are actually very much inspired by U.S. collective group material who in 1989 made first AIDS timeline, talking about that growing U.S. disaster of when actually our community was almost kind of genocide, dying from AIDS. And that was the first example they make another kind of that the group was exemplary, mostly working in the medium of timeline. Recently, it was very good article in After All, problematizing that relation between artists, histories, and through that medium. Simon Scheich published last autumn and pretty much focused on our works. And this time, we, first time, first of all, we 
include make it participatory, so open up protocol yeah. of constructing timelines. And second, for the first time, we include kind of non-human agency because it happened because the most interesting way to observe the history, you see it's a history of natural disasters like mm -hmm. typhoons, earthquake, flood, and all that stuff. And when you edit, we proportionally a little bit increase that kind of positions. Mm -hmm. And second position, which we never used before, I was absolutely fascinated that sometimes it's side story, but it's a lot of things happen with colonization of another planet. Mm -hmm. Expedition goes to Mars, to Sirius, encountering new planets, speculating on possibility where human can really expand. So, and that also play quite a big role. Mm -hmm. And also certain scientific experiments with genes, with new... With smaller particles. With smaller particles. So that kind of a mixture, it's not just kind of demonstration, Bush, uh, Clinton, Scottish independence, blah, blah. No, it's... Not only. Not, not, on, not, not only. only. Because <laughs> those events are also... also yeah, there. And when you put them together... Mm -hmm. You can see the complexity mm -hmm. and um, some kind of yeah. We call it. We create a certain that. kind of, mm -hmm. on one sense of confusion, disorientation, and at the same time, also it's quite. You know, we discuss with CCA because this history is not a nice thing. It's quite brutal. You know, actually, earthquake is the most brutal things ever. In, uncomparable to any terror attack or whatever, you know, it's wow, in a few seconds, 200,000 people disappear, you know, that's really serious. But at the same time, you know, it also gives a sense of that kind of threat, kind of disaster, and same time lines of hope. Mm -hmm. That's why we use murals, also quite, I wouldn't say deductive, but kind of, yeah, it's a fight of two kind of good and mm. devil. We love some kind of cheesy stuff. <laughs> well, I think I think that's important because you're dealing with very complex ideas, ways of rereading the past, of shaping them in a more human level, and also subhuman and yeah, yeah. bigger than human yeah, as well. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. so there's quite a lot going on there. But mm. again, your work is about accessibility, isn't it? It's about people being able to see it. So, using murals, for example, mm. which, which can be didactic, mm, mm. but they're very approachable and they're very mm. easy to understand and read and, and, and engage with. And mm. that seems to be the balance in your work between incredible high concepts mm -hmm. and the accessibility, which you mm -hmm. always mm -hmm. seem to include is, is mm -hmm. an important part of what you do. There is another very important element in, in this show is our films. And here we need to really say a few words about other members of our collective. It's Tapla Olga Yegorova, who is the director of most of our films. He's a great artist. Uh, she could not come and uh, to participate, but most of the films are directed by mm -hmm. her. And uh, Nina Gasteva um, is a choreographer who is working with uh, as part of our collective since five, six years, something. Mm -hmm. And she's an author of, uh, of, of this term that we use uh, always, uh, building the collective body, right? And um, 
in the film, you can see the pedagogy of body, of the pedagogy of the movement. It's all because of her. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We can blame it on her. Mm -hmm. Okay, well, I'm afraid that's a good point to end. So you're just blaming someone, blaming one of the collective. That's great. Passing responsibility. Uh, Times Lines 1989 is going to be running from August the 10th to September the 8th. With filming screenings, check out the CCA website for more details. And my next guest today is Helen from Squiff. Squiff has been in the CSA for quite a few years now. So I think the first question might be, though, what does Squiff stand for? Hmm. It stands for Scottish Queer International Film Festival, um, which I guess is fairly self-explanatory. It does its work, but, doesn't yeah. it? <laughs> How long have you been in the CCA for? How long have you been doing it? This is our fifth year. Fifth, fifth year. year. Okay, so an anniversary. It is. It's, it's our fifth birthday. Yeah. Well, apart from the fact that you pretty much describe what you do in the title, yeah. what kinds of vision do you have for the festival? What yeah. does it try and achieve? I mean, it's always been uh, being designed to be community focused. So it's a festival for, you can either use the term LGBTQIA plus or the slightly uh, less of a mouthful term queer. Um, so we're really trying to like create um, a space and showcase art, which is really uh, focused on the needs and representation of queer people, I guess. Thinking about how we can do something uh, different from uh, from what mainstream uh, cinemas and film festivals are presenting in terms of queer work. So we're showing stuff which doesn't tend to have uh, a cinema release. We're showing a lot of documentaries, a lot of short films, some kind of DIY, lower budget films. And then, yeah, just, just trying to then also create a space which is welcoming and inclusive, particularly for, for queer people. And it's not just about the films, though. You have other things that are around it, conversations are happening. Yeah. You, you had a, a family day one year. I believe you're doing that again? We are actually. Uh, the first year we did that, we uh, admittedly didn't have any children coming to the family, uh, two family events we put on. And then we have done, the last few years, we've done a kids screening out at Platform and Meester House. But this year will be the first year we're going to attempt uh, a, a family-oriented event at the CCA. And it's going to be a Beauty and the Beast sing-along, which will be cute hopefully mm -hmm. um, and that's also presented in partnership with Rainbow Families who who um, are our support a, a good example of how Squiff as an organisation reaches out and discusses yeah. things with other people and yeah. and you're part of an ongoing process within Glasgow I guess yeah definitely I mean def yeah that's another big thing that we, we try and do is work with lots of different organisations groups and also individuals um, obviously who are also queer themselves um, yeah it's it's when we do something like that we you know we would approach Rainbow Families and say you know what do you want what do you need being the people who work with um, so LGBT parents or parents of LGBT children um, yourselves you know what do you feel would be good to have mm. as an event and then yeah obviously choosing a film is one aspect of it but then there's also bringing people together to then have that conversation as well so yeah Now usually at this point I will ask a question about well I believe uh, over the generations the de definition of the word queer has changed but earlier on you, you kind of say it's a way of getting the whole LBGTQI plus in a much easier to say sentence because I made a mess of it just there Yeah um, I mean it's not just that it's um i think the problem with queer though is a term is that everyone has a kind of a slightly different usage it's controversial for me queer also refers to my politics and a set of politics um which is about obviously thinking about sexuality and gender and how people are oppressed and how society is kind of organized um around kind of rules or whatever around those things and um, but then it also includes for me thinking about um um other ways people are oppressed so thinking about race 
uh, class and disability and things like that as well and even thinking about you know potentially going into kind of anti-capitalist ideas and how do we how do we um how do we address that and incorporate that within talking about gender and sexuality and mm-hmm. um, but yeah but some people would also use it just as an umbrella term for L- as a shorthand for lgbtqia so it's kind of tricky and you always you know when you're advertising a film festival you can't get into these big long conversations about i don't know i think we're doing quite well <laughs> yeah, now yeah. Yes. okay true <laughs> yeah but i'm also cautious of not um i guess with the festival not making it too kind of oh you have to know the correct terminology you have to already be familiar with these ideas because we want it to be open to you know everyone essentially it is a festival that is about inclusion yeah so exactly. that's very very important yeah. are you able to tell me anything that's coming to the festival this I, year i can yes um so we're really excited to be doing a, uh, one of the main strands we're doing is on religion so um basically a number of different events um i guess l- l- uh, focusing on particular um different religions and um, so we are working with a group called Hidayah, um, which is a support group for LGBTQ plus Muslim people. Um, they, they have a branch in Glasgow. Um, so we, we worked with them. Uh, they helped us choose the films that they wanted to see for a shorts programme. And they'll also be engaging in a, a discussion with the audience afterwards, obviously around Islam queerness which is really important i guess we really you know we particularly wanted to uh, to talk about muslim experience um because of obviously rampant islamophobia i think we need to go there really i think that's yeah, so important definitely yeah. and then you know islamophobia within lgbtq communities the the way that um lgbt people are sometimes kind of pitted against um muslim people and muslim communities with this idea that somehow being muslim automatically makes you homophobic which it doesn't um so yeah so we're kind of having that that conversation which is which is really cool but then we're also doing you know we have um we're showing but i'm a cheerleader who's a classic lesbian film about a a young woman who is sent to a a christian conversion camp in the u.s it's one of my favorite films of all times like comedy it's got rupaul in it from the the 90s by the way 1998 it's also the 20th anniversary of that film is it that old yeah yeah yeah. Okay, moving on past my southern recognition of my own page. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what other strands have you got in there? Yeah, this year? Um, and then we've got a strand uh, we're calling Latinx Legends. So we just sort of realised there was a few um, amazing documentaries about um, individuals. Uh, queer artists and activists from uh, the, the Latin American world. Um, so there's a documentary about a guy called Pedro Limabel, who was a performance artist during um, the um, Pinochet dictatorship. Um, and yeah, just a really astonishing documentary featuring interviews with him he's not alive anymore but interviews with him um, and footage of his performance art um, and his kind of his coming up against um, you know yeah the macho very repressive world that he was living in as a, as a queer man and this documentary about a Mexican wrestler called uh, Cassandro Cassandro the Exotical who again was this very um, openly overt queer man within um, Lucha Libre space wow um, okay that, that must have of, been intense yeah it's it's he's also no longer alive. It's, it's it's a very intense film in terms of him talking about his experiences. But again, it's a really beautiful, beautifully made documentary. So yeah, so we just kind of decided to create a strand out of that. They're the two kind of main strands we're doing, and then there's like you know lots of one-off events. Mm-hmm. And, and will you be getting any filmmakers coming along for a chat this year? We are. Yes. Who who are we getting? Um. So we're going to be doing an event around. Um. As you know, we traditionally do some porn, queer porn. I was going to ask eventually. Yeah. Yeah. So we've got a filmmaker coming from the US uh, called Laurie Erickson, who makes basically this kind of DIY disability justice focused uh, uh, porn films um, so she will be coming to chat about about that we have the director also of Lemma Bell the film I was uh, just talking about um, Johanna um, Garibaldi Riposi 
uh, who's coming from Chile um, to to that's sponsored by Scottish Documentary Institute. She's coming mm-hmm. to give a workshop and do a Q and A with that film. Who else? We've got a lot of guests actually this year who aren't filmmakers. Interesting. Oh, okay. So please tell me yeah, more about so that. F- as part of the religious strand, we're, we're doing a shorts program, which is more a kind of general looking at um, uh, different religions and queerness. So we've got um, Reverend Jane Clark, who um, is a reverend for um, the Metropolitan Community Centre, which is a, an LGBT um, group of faith in Glasgow. And then we've got Joe Clifford. The legendary Joe Clifford. Legendary Joe Clifford. Who, and the reason we've invited her is because she obviously did a show called uh, Jesus Queen of Heaven. And it's the 10th anniversary of that this year. And they're reproducing, recreating that show um, in Glasgow in November. So she's going to come and talk, you know, from the, from the angle of... Uh, uh, that, that's quite an interesting hookup as well, because mm. there was a Brazilian version of the show, yeah. which they had a lot of trouble with. I mean, very different, their experience of doing it over 10 years. You can tell that we're talking about theatricus suddenly. I'm like, oh, I yeah, know some yeah, facts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but one of the things that is interesting is talking about the sort of Brazilian machismo culture where yeah. play was under threat physically yeah. all the time. And I believe they're doing the Brazilian version as part of that yeah, uh, a series of events at the chance yeah. to celebrate its yeah. longevity as well. Yeah, but it's really interesting because the, when it first came out 10 years ago, it was part of Glasgow um, LGBT Arts Festival at the time. Um, there were protesters, which there are, you know, 10 years later it's sort of now it's performed and it you know there aren't protesters but as you say when they put it on in brazil there are again. Other, other countries it becomes um, more challenging yep. yeah and that we, we have a few films from uh, uh, brazil this year as well the, the third documentary in, in the latinx legend season is um, a documentary called queen of uh, lapa which is about a trans woman sex worker who runs a kind of safe house for other trans women um, in brazil and a number of documentaries um yeah it's just uh, sorry it's just interesting because of the kind of scenario mm-hmm. in brazil where they've actually bolsonaro in a right wing um president he is indeed there yes. um has also just made a move to kind of cut film funding for uh, filmmakers there because he doesn't like what's being produced well he doesn't um, like art doesn't like art he doesn't like I'm art sure, at all yeah and there's been a series of incidents with artists having to leave the country very very quickly yeah. for very spurious reasons mm. quite frankly but it's interesting in a way we mentioned there 10 years ago glasgow would get protests mm. I mean, you'd get protests in your early years as well didn't you yeah, I mean, this is the thing. It's yeah, and I also don't like this narrative of like kind of you know the as if there's been a kind of a, a linear progress in LGBT rights. I don't think that is the case. And um, so far, we've been protested once um, for putting on what we called a feminist porn event. But this year, I am. I feel like there's more of a chance this year that we specifically might get protested mm. again because we are trans inclusive um because also because we are showing porn um and i guess i mean i don't really like the term sex positive but you know i guess some people would, would say that's what we are you know and we are foregrounding experience of sex workers as well and so there's kind of a i think with the kind of encroaching fascism what's come along with that is is yeah an attack on trans rights and mm. we've kind of seen that in scotland recently i th- i think there's a general attitude towards otherness yeah. But it's not as tolerant as it may have been. I mean, I think I do cling on to that fantasy that we're making progress mm. in terms of inclusion and acceptance and tolerance and mm. we're learning more and we're expanding those notions. But at the same time, I think there's a lot of enabling going on. Yes. And that's why I was very excited when you said you're doing something on Islamic yeah. people within LGBTQI communities. But at the same time, that might be why people get interested and get interested in a negative way because even mentioning religion and sexuality can, can kick people off. Yeah, and it, it yes, 
Um, it has already when I've kind of been discussing those issues with, you know, people in my own community. A lot of people just hear the word, a lot of queer people hear the word religion or like, you know, no, that's, that's something that, you know, there's a but then, but then statistically, I think that queer communities have a higher percentage of religious observance than heterosexual communities a lot right? of the time. I think it's something like 63% in one of the surveys they did. Now, I'm talking about the UK. Yeah. In America, I'm sure it's very, very different. I'm sure it's very, very different mm. in pockets of the UK. But it is something that's almost a hidden history within queer history. Right. Yeah. And it, yeah, it w- would be interesting to, to, to find out um, historically how that kind of came about, that statistic. Yes. Um, yes. But I think it's all, but from my point of view, it's, I'll be really interested to hear, yeah, from people who are religious and LGBTQ and how they kind of reconcile that. Fascinating um, discourses, isn't yeah. it? It's good conversations, yeah. which is kind of what Squiff does. It yeah. creates really exciting conversations. Yeah. Sometimes there's been controversy from within. You've had certain guests who have wound people up quite right. comprehensively. Yeah. But at other times, it's more of a inclusive, positive conversation. Mm-hmm. But it really takes over in the CCA. People are talking all the time. Yeah. That's 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 definitely the aim and definitely what's good about it. Yeah, I think just creating that space and a space that's not online as well, because there's a lot of conversations online about all this stuff we're talking about, but not necessarily the most fruitful um, or the most useful in terms of. Yeah, for me, it's thinking about what's useful in terms of, yeah, challenging oppression and, and, and all these kind of difficult issues. You know, it is actually really useful, particularly in this era of internet rage to bring people together in physical space and to allow people to to learn from other people's experiences as well you know i think Mm -hmm. to not just be preaching to the converted all the time that's something i'm quite keen on in terms of again making it inclusive so when is this going to happen yes it is this year will be the second to the sixth of october so again it's a five-day festival and mostly in the cca but you said you're going out to platform as well we're not doing platform this year and the vast majority is at the cca we've got we're doing a virtual reality exhibition at Glasgow Women's Library on three of the days. Amazing. Um, and what else are we, where are we going? We're doing uh, one screening, we're showing the documentary before Stonewall, documentary from the 80s, which also, because it's the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall rights this year, we're showing that at Seymour Community Cinema, Mary Hill. We're doing two screenings at Glasgow Film Theatre and we're doing a reading event at Category as Books as well. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much, Helen. Thank you. And my third guest for September. Well, would you mind introducing yourself? Absolutely. My name is Janos Lang, uh, and I am from an organization called Andoglasso, uh, which is a Roma cultural organization, and I'm the creative director of it. And I am originally a Hungarian. Now, I'm quite interested because I believe that you're the newest cultural tenant. You actually are in the building upstairs. Yes. 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 But quite a lot of your work is ranged around the city, isn't it? Yes. Uh, well, I'm coming from a music background, so uh, I, I still do a lot of projects around around the town and, and even further afield. But... Um, we, as an organization, we are kind of based now in the CCA, so we do a lot of our projects here, but we we are uh, trying to extend mm-hmm. further and further our work. So so what is the, the kind of aim or the vision? What are you trying to achieve within Glasgow? Well, the organization's goal is, is to promote and, and nurture Roma culture and talent and through that open up avenues for Roma people to, to showcase their culture, to learn, to, to develop, to have access to, to all sorts of uh, different opportunities that, that help their 
integration, active citizenship, and so on and so on. Because there has been an increasing awareness, I think, perhaps it's because of your organisation, of the Roma presence in Glasgow. And particularly on the south side, there's quite a few activities that are going on over there connected to the Roma community. Yes, yes, there are uh, partner organisations as well who work hard uh, uh, within Govan Hill. Uh, our our aim is to slightly different in terms of of uh, bringing the Roma out of Govan Hill and, and and show them to the world and and get people more no, kind of notice more about uh, uh, the Roma Roma mm-hmm. culture and its importance. <laughs> Do you think there's any particular parts of Roman culture that are, are very effective in doing that kind of work of introducing the culture to broader cultures? Yeah, absolutely. That's 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 what we we are trying to do throughout various projects that we deliver here in the CCA, for example, like our Transylvanian Kaylees, where we bring in local Roma folks to play and and in a, in a, in a way that is very similar to a Kaylee and, and, and it invites a lot of different kind of uh, communities and mm. And people to immerse themselves into the Roma culture a bit. So it's a, it's a Kaylee, a part of Roma culture. It's not just a Scottish thing, then. Yeah, they, they wouldn't call it a Kaylee. Mm-hmm. Uh, and well, dance uh, dance traditions are big everywhere in the world. I mean, every tradition you you find traditional dances as part of their heritage. You know, so we just trying to shape it in a in a way that it is very familiar for a Scottish mm-hmm. audience. What have you got coming up in September? In September, we are going to have. Uh, an event on the 7th and we invited a young Roma group of Slovakian and Czech Romas that we've been working with lately and we we've went to Spain as part of an Erasmus project so that was the start of this group called Zor and uh, and their music is very very fiery very vocal based and and, and amazing young talents in that group um, so they're going to start off the night and then I invited uh, a friend of mine who is a young uh, Scottish musician is uh, from the GRT communities and he is about to re- record his solo album and he's going to showcase the material uh, this night his name is Kieran Ryan and the project is the Kieran Ryan band and that's happening in the CSA when is that it's on the 7th of September. Okay, so early in the month then? Yes, yes. Well, and that day is also going to be the start of our month-long uh, gypsy music course, mm-hmm. short course. So every Saturday throughout September, we are inviting various um, players from the um, Scottish or the Glaswegian Roma scene, and they will introduce the participants to to gypsy music so is that for musicians already who perhaps can swap and learn a few new approaches or is it a more open thing than that it is it's quite open but but uh, it's probably more suitable for more advanced players mm-hmm. it, it seems that one of the big things here is you're talking about the music and is, is that kind of the main thrust or are there other aspects of roma culture that you explore at the moment we're focusing on on music and dance because mm-hmm. that's the most obvious uh, how you would say the craft that still exists amongst Roma communities that's probably the, the most significant and mm-hmm. it has got a, a an important part of of the Roma heritage even modern days even if it's very invisible for for them for the mainstream communities so we are trying to to nurture that and and see what avenues we we can provide through that mm-hmm. uh, medium uh, but we are we are um, starting to establish more diverse programs as well especially for for youth programs we are just in the middle of 
of planning some some projects and so this is a watch this space question pretty much yeah see what happens pretty much, yes, next yes. what was it that made you decide that you wanted to be doing this work what was the factor that said this is something that is necessary at this time mm. well because i myself i'm i'm f- from a roma background and i i worked a lot with roma uh, people over throughout my life and i i, I know their heritage and and i, I kind of was always aware of what ha- what is happening in their world but i was always mainly a mainstream kind of trot player uh, i never really done anything more than that with with the the roma culture i played with some artists i brought some artists to scotland and you know i was always kind of keeping in touch with it but in the up, last couple of years i started to think that music and culture is, is such a significant em- employer for roma people throughout the centuries you know and, and it's such an obvious way of of, of uh, um, for outreach towards the various different roma communities and and i started a, a little project that basically just grew into this organization that we have now and uh, it seems to be quite a successful way of of connecting with with roma communities and and start things moving mm-hmm. it's, it's interesting several times when you've talked about roma musicians and you've located where they've come from as well because it's, it's such a huge culture and it spreads across well the world really doesn't absolutely. it absolutely is, is there a continuity between roma cultures in different parts of the world can you get a sense that there's a, a through line in things that they do absolutely and they yes have? absolutely uh, we, we we find that most of the roma communities who come from various different countries are aware of each other's heritage and and they they they're aware of the similarities and of course there's the obvious uh, romani language which mm-hmm. is which uh, Although it has got many different dialects, but but more or less everyone understands from each other from the various different communities. So yes, absolutely, there are there is a lot of similarities, you know, and and uh, and um, common common kind of core for all this. But then there's also that way of mashing together or juxtaposing different cultures within the Roma music as well. I mean, that's one of the characteristics is that yeah. it, it has a sound that seems to draw from so many different sources. Absolutely, yeah. Well, well, typically when Roma groups of Roma people settle in one country, they, they very quickly take up the local customs and traditions in terms of music because uh, as one of the main kind of employment for, for them, they always had to do that. You know, they became entertainers very quickly of, for local communities. So they very quickly pick up and adopt uh, to their local customs, you know, and, and, and quite often transform it a little bit to their own taste and sound. Do you maintain enthusiasm for the music? Is, it, is that a sort of love for that actual music that really keeps driving you forward? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was always madly in love with, with the, the various different styles of gypsy music and then the more you dig yourself into it the, the more you discover and there's just such a such a huge uh, vast territory of of culture and music that you can just never get to the end of it really so you've got quite a bit coming up in september that's quite a busy yeah. month are you generally doing things every month or every yes. couple of months and music events in the cca so people should be looking out on your website yes uh, for events do you have a website absolutely yeah it's underglasso.org mm-hmm. wonderful well thank you so much for taking the time to talk nice. today it's been a real pleasure and i'll see you on september the 7th i hope me too escaped over to Edinburgh for the day, making my way through the fringe to a very quiet office somewhere on Leith Walk. I'm here with Take One Action. Please introduce yourselves. Hi, my name is Tamara Van Straten. I am one of two people working as part of Take One Action's year-round. Um, I've been working with the organisation for 
six years, it's going to be my seventh, festi- my seventh festival. Um, and I'll tell you a bit more about the organisation afterwards. Uh, my name is Kirsty Somerville. I'm the festival's producer and I've been with Take My Action for three years and a bit. So yeah, fourth festival that we're doing together, which is very exciting. Now you are coming to the CCA to do some of the festivals, yes. but it's not just located there, is it? No, um, we are running across, I think, 18 venues across Edinburgh and Glasgow this year. Somehow. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, we're working with lots of different um, groups, organisations, large and small, some of which are delivering their own events as part of our festival, and we're also um, screening films in lots of different venues across the two cities. What's the vision for the festival? What are you trying to achieve? We've been working now for... It's our 12th festival, uh, so we were founded in 2008 and our aim has always been to empower audiences to find their way into action on the issues that they care about. We believe that uh, shared cinematic experiences are a really powerful way to bring people together and to question the systems that underpin inequality across the world. Are they mostly documentary films that you're showing? Mostly, yes. Uh, over the years we have started screening more and more documentaries to the point that they make up about 98% of our programme. Um, but we've got, we've got one uh, narrative um, fiction feature film that we're really excited about because we're going to be hosting the unofficial premiere, uh, the special preview of uh, Sorry We Missed You, the new film by Ken Loach and Paul Laverty, who are our patrons. And we screen lots of short, document, uh, short um, animation and fiction films as well. So it's quite a, a range of things and a range of locations as well. What is it that really inspired the festival when it began, do you think, or has kept it going as well? What makes it important and stand out from other festivals that we have, which are also perhaps engaged with political stuff? I think that we've, we form part of a really vibrant landscape uh, of festivals in Scotland, film festivals specifically. Um, it's funny talking about film festivals at a time when the world in Edinburgh is taken over by lots of different types of festivals. But the, the film festivals landscape in Scotland is really um, vibrant and a lot of them are um, very engaged politically. And I think maybe what sets us apart is that desire specifically to um, to question these systems and bring people together to do so and to give them their own ways of critiquing and understanding the films that we present. And we've been working for years in collaboration with lots of different types of organisations. Um, I mentioned earlier that we work with groups, small grassroots groups like Mary Hill Integration Network, but we also work with Oxfam or Christian Aid or Unison. And I think it's that, that melting pot of, of influences and, and collaborations that really enriches um, our approach and what we can offer audiences. And I think it's highlighting positive change as well, you know, through the conversations that we have and the partners we work with. I think we don't shy away from the fact that a lot of the films we show and the issues we explore are quite hard and can be quite challenging, but I think through conversation and collaboration afterwards that we can kind of join together to highlight, you know, both what people are doing on screen, but also in our own communities and in Scotland and provide people hopefully that inspiration to kind of continue their journey or just even be aware of, you know, the good stuff that is happening alongside. I'm really interested in the question of engaging people in a way that allows them to (laughs) develop a critique. Are there any particular formats that you use within the festival that help facilitate those kinds of conversations? Yeah, so I think it kind of varies. So I think when we're in a cinema setting, obviously just due to the layout of a, the room itself, you're kind of quite restricted in how you can use that space. But I think we try and make our conversations very audience-led. So we do have kind of guests that we bring along, but we try to avoid that kind of question and answer panel, expert audience mm-hmm. divide, which I think can restrict that conversation. So it's much more audience-led because I think you know people who come to our films often have so much experience and wealth of knowledge already. So kind of making space for that but then I think when we go to non-cinema venues then we have a lot more flexibility of how we use that space and I think even just like the physical layout of where you put your seats can actually in 
spark a much different conversation mm-hmm. um, and we do a few community meals as well alongside events so finding ways that people can engage outside of the cinema space as well whether it's like over food or like through art and conversation so I think it's trying to kind of pepper the programme with different forms of engagement and ways people can interact. And it's also trying to find that sweet spot between um, utter respect for the films that we choose to screen um, and inviting people to understand that we are welcoming a critique of what's on screen that just because we're presenting a film doesn't mean that we agree with everything that's on that screen or that the way it was brought about and also in reminding them of the, the context of the production of the film as much as the context of its um, consumption. I don't like using that word, <laughs> film is not a product, but the context in which it's being viewed as well as the context in which it was made, the agendas behind um, how and why the film came about. There's so many exciting things in there, but I'm going to rein myself in for a second and say, can you tell me about some of the films that you've actually got showing? I think one of the things that excites me a lot about this year's programme, perhaps even more so than previous years, is the variety of genres within documentary Mm. that it shows. I mean, we only have 20 feature films in our programme, but within that selection, there's so much um, nuance and so many different ways of understanding what documentary can be. And so some of the films that are my like my little darlings, because we love them all. <laughs> like there's one film that I'm I absolutely adore, and it, it might not be an obvious choice for Take One Action. And we're not screening it at CCE. I apologise for that. Uh, but it's called Gods of Molenbeek, and it's set in a district of Brussels that um, that is a hotbed of jihadism, according to a lot of uh, people on the outside. But it focuses on these um, two to three kids, six-year-old children. And it's looking at the world through their eyes in a really poetic and lyrical fashion. And it, it shows you what it's like to live in a city that is totally um, under the throes of uh, fear, terrorism fear. It's just when, it was just filmed when the terrorist attacks happened in Brussels. And it manages to be true to that, that sense of fear and apprehension that the adults are feeling while bringing you back to the wonder and the joy and the... Um, the curiosity of, of a child's mind and it, uh, in terms of how communities can be portrayed on screen I just thought it was one of the, the most beautiful things I've seen in a long time. There was some challenges I think around that particularly with the rise of Islamophobia and paranoia and fear about terrorism that the way a community is represented is becoming increasingly crucial mm-hmm. I think in many ways representation is our first step towards engagement but it seems to me as if that's something that isn't just following the usual way of saying, oh, look at this terrible situation. There's something more generous there. There is, and, and it's, I think because the main character, let's say, is this, this little uh, Finno-Chilean boy who lives in this district of Brussels, which is really diverse ethnically, um, linguistically. Um, he's questions around, you know, what, what's a Muslim? Who is Allah? Um, and his best friend is this little Moroccan boy whose parents are very religious. And these questions are very open and there's the, all of that prejudice and that, that fear, that apprehension, that um, stereotyping that you mentioned is absent from the, the way that he's looking at the world. And in his interaction with his friend, you can see that there are some restrictions that are going to come into place gradually for, the, for them as they, grow, as they grow older. They will inevitably start looking at the world in very specific ways because of who they are, because of who their parents are, because of the languages they speak or the places they live in, but right now they're living in that same building and they can still share all of that curiosity and that openness. And I think 
the way that the film um, is built is also showing you that the adults themselves understand the need to do that and to come together. Um, and so there's, there's a few demonstrations that bring the community, the Muslim community and non-Muslim community together within, within that space. Is there something that you would like to point oh, to in particular? My top one. Um, I think Scheme Birds is my top one. So it did screen at the Edinburgh International Film Festival, but we're bringing it back to both Edinburgh and Glasgow. Um, and it's set in Motherwell in the Jefferson housing estate, but it's made by two Swedish film directors. And it's, it just, just follows this character, Gemma, who's, I think, 17, and it's kind of over her, like, the next few years of her life. Um, and just what happens to her living in this housing estate in Scotland. And I think I find it really interesting because a lot of the films we show are looking at international stories. Um, and I think with Scheme Birds, it's really interesting because it's international filmmakers making a Scot story about Scottish inequality and Scottish poverty. Um, and it's, like, beautifully shot, like, really lyrical and, like, really intimate and very tender. But um, I think it also provides a space to reflect on some of the issues we have in Scotland ourselves and kind of put the lens back on us. I find it quite an uncomfortable watch mm. and quite difficult because I think you have a, I don't know, kind of a protectiveness, if that's right, about kind of your own culture and your own people. And I think because Scotland's so small, it's like, you know, it's just the same as the girls I went to school with and it's kind of looking at that in a different way. So that's really beautiful. Um, and the other one, if I'm allowed to, um, is called Tiny Souls, which we bring to CCA um, and to Edinburgh as well. Um, which is a beautiful film, again, looking at kind of children in conflict. Um, but it's a small family who live from Syria, who are in a refugee camp in Jordan. And you meet them when the oldest girl, I think, is nine. And then it kind of, they think they'll just be there for a few weeks and the weeks turn to months, the months turn to years. And the filmmaker gives them a camera to film themselves. So it's just lots of very beautiful shots of a young family being children and, you know, kind of play and imagination, but within this wider and kind of political situation that they're part of and I think in a similar way to Gods of Molenbeek it's looking at kind of our shared humanity and kind of common humanity within these very difficult situations um, and yeah it's just it's very intimate and very beautiful and the director is coming for the both screenings and um, Dina Nassar and she's doing a filmmaker a director of Masterclass in Edinburgh with the Scottish Documentary Institute and I think she'll be really interesting just to hear of her filmmaking process and how you capture you know, a narrative from a child's perspective um, over such a long time as well. So, so yeah. And both, both the films that you chose, um, Skin Birds and uh, Tiny Souls, are really interesting in terms of the, the filmmaker's responsibility towards very vulnerable protagonists. Mm -hmm. um, uh, and actually the producer of Skin Birds, who's herself Scottish but lives in Sweden, is going to be around and she's going to be doing a masterclass with the um, University of the West of Scotland after the screenings of the film. Um, yeah, I think they, they, they both... <laughs> really important uh, films in that respect too, as well as existing within a specific political um, context uh, in terms of the artistic responsibility and, and approach. They really um, complement each other in a really interesting way. As we're talking about this, the three things that are emerging for me is there's obviously a strong sense of aesthetics in your selection. You're going for films that do the job like that. There's also a sense of what is the content? Does it have political context to it, how does it speak out, but and also then you've added in this idea of the responsibility, the conditions of the making, all three of those things in the curatorial balance, if you like, are they all important to you? Oh yeah, big time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the way that we, you know, we are asking ourselves whether we will carry on programming the way that we do, because I, I do tend to do most of the programming, um, I get help from uh, various people, not least from Kirsty, um, but I do tend to choose most of the films and maybe that's not the best way to go about programming a festival but right now that's still the model that we've espoused and while it's still happening 
these questions are extremely alive in my head while we while we look at films. And there are films I've seen which tackle issues that are right on the money in terms of our audiences, but where I feel that the approach that's been taken or the, the funding that they've received to make the film or are just too questionable for me to, mm. to, to bring them. We have in the past brought films that we had major qualms about, but then we contextualize that in the way that we present them. You were asking earlier, how do we frame those conversations with audiences so that they feel the um, ability and, and, and actually the invitation to, to critique, and that's also a way of doing it. You know, like The way we write about the film in our program, the way we present it when we introduce it, just to remind people to keep those questions alive as they're watching something. There's also, of course, the fact that you're creating places for discourse and conversation that probably allows you to go into spaces that if you were sharing them without any kind of commentary, I think that would be far more problematic. I think it's now impossible to, to be completely ethical, but if you're transparent, you at least go some way towards engaging mm -hmm. with the questions that that provokes. Now, usually I would be able to say, give us the dates, but you'll have to give me the general dates and a website because there's so much. I mean, it's an incredible <laughs> range of things. So when is it happening? Um, so we run from the 18th to the 29th of September, um, opening in Edinburgh on the 18th and in Glasgow on the 19th. Um, and if you go to takeoneaction.org.uk, you can find information on all the films, all of our events. Um, alongside the screenings, we also have a series of like workshops, director masterclasses, which we mentioned. Um, we do school screenings as well. So yeah, there's a real wealth of opportunities to get involved. Um, and during, um, over the entire duration of the festival at CCA, we'll also have a short film booth. Oh, is that happening in the CCA? Yeah, yeah. Oh, so, Can you tell yes. me a bit about that then? Yeah, it's actually a CCA pleasure. thing. And yeah, so, so we're doing it in the foyer of the CCA. Um, so it'll just be free, kind of drop in, come and watch some films. But we've got a really beautiful collection of short films, um, which will all be captioned as well for people with hard of hearing. Um, and yeah, free to drop in, kind of exploring a range of issues which we look at the programme. So from like women's empowerment, food sustainability, to kind of climate action. But in a really kind of um, artistic collection of ways, you know, there's animation, there's documentaries, there's fiction. So I think if you want like a little snippet of what we do and just to kind of explore some of those issues in a very kind of creative way, then it's a, a really nice opportunity just to drop by and um, see some of that. And you can just stroll into the CCN. Yeah, yeah. yeah, stroll in and have a seat. And for people who don't live in Glasgow, um, we also have a fantastic selection of films that are available to see for free online. So our Global Film Directory, which is an integral part of our website, is also a really good way to, to engage with cinematic content that asks important questions or raises important issues um, but at home. But we'd still invite people as much as they can to come and watch films together and to come and talk about them. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. There's something there about the gathering together in Absolutely. a single place, isn't there? And mm -hmm. I think you're going beyond that sitting in the darkness in an isolated, alienated experience and moving into something that is social and communal and hopefully can, ans can ask some questions mm -hmm. or give some answers to things that are just bubbling under otherwise. Yeah, I mean, as Kirsty said earlier, one of the things we're really conscious of is that it can be political documentaries or political films in general can actually play into the sense of disempowerment that can, um, that can be experienced when we look at the world around us and we look at all the inequalities and the injustices that, um, that are alive within that world. Um, and one of the things we're really sensitive to is to ensure that we do not leave people feeling uh, disempowered, feeling disillusioned and feeling that there is absolutely no point in trying to trying to make any difference and remind people of the power we all have uh, and that power can be um, realized in so many different ways but we all have it and you know that there's that fam famous Alice Walker quote that you know the 
most common way people give up their power is by believing they don't have any. And that's exactly what we try and reinforce as a feeling of, of, of being part of something wider and being able to play that part. Mm. Thank you so much. I think that's the perfect point to end. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. podcast i've been gareth k vile and it just remains for me to do my thank yous thank you first of all to sunday gulf and fm who are broadcasting this hopefully you're hearing it through them right now i'd like to thank julian rowan marketing team at the cca who really do make this possible and of course kenny who provides the microphones as always if you can hear me it's thanks to him and if there's any problems it's thanks to me and my bad editing it's gareth k vile signing off and i'll speak to you again in a month's time